Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am looking forward to the full hour. Dr. Matt Queen is going to join me, and um, I'm going to make him work really hard this hour because I have lots of questions for him. He is the professor of evangelism at the L.R. Scarborough School of Evangelism at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. His book is called The Gospel Invitation, Why Publicly inviting people to receive Christ still matters. And I love the topic. And the first time I had Matt on, I think I got off and I said to my producer, I like everything about Matt. And he's back with me today for the full hour. Matt, welcome back. Thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate you having me back on. Yeah. I've got so (laughs) many questions for you because I love this topic. And the more I've been thinking about it the last six months, the more excited I'm getting about it. So Let me just read something from your book that I just find fascinating. Well, you talk about while the forms of public invitations in the Bible vary, they all express a uniform intent to call sinners to be publicly reconciled to God. This chapter survey of public invitations in the Old and New Testament yields four important conclusions that should inform contemporary gospel invitations. So with that as a backdrop, that's where I want to start. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, so throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, there are these public displays of people to have faith in God. And the very first one is in the garden whenever God, you know, the only public there was Adam and Eve. Right. But whenever God calls them and he calls them out of their shame to come out from behind the shadows and to stand before him and give an account. And they, of course, do so. And then he's able to cover their sin. And then we see Moses at Mount Sinai. He calls the Levites to come publicly stand with him. Elijah does this. and He calls people to the altar to see God bring fire down from heaven. So so faith, though there are uh, personal matters of our faith, faith is always a public decision. And it's the same in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. John the Baptist calls people to publicly be baptized. Jesus calls people in public to respond to his message. Peter does the same thing at the temple. And so faith is a matter of, of well, though it's personal, it is a matter of public proclamation. And so, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think I think in order for us to recapture uh, an understanding of what New Testament, Old Testament, biblical preaching is, we can't just teach the Bible. We need to do that. Absolutely. But but the Bible demands a response and it should be a public one. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matt Queen is with me today. And Matt, let's talk a little bit about some more Old Testament examples. Let's bring up uh, Joshua's choice before the tribes of Israel. Yeah, so that's that's an important one. You know, uh, Moses has uh, has has uh, now died. The Lord has taken his body. And uh, uh, Joshua, as he's leading the people into Israel, he has that very famous ser- uh, sermon or a speech or whatever publicly where he says, I choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me 
and my family will serve the Lord. And publicly, the people say, we will serve the Lord too. And he he kind of tests them to see if their uh, profession is true and kind of says, do you really believe that? Yes, we believe that. And so they are they are publicly not only professing their faith, but Joshua leads them to publicly test their faith. And of course, a, a faith that's not uh, tested is really not a faith at all, because that's what uh, uh, that's what sustains us in our times of suffering and in our times of persecution is uh, have we really turned our life over to God? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, when I was going through your book, The Gospel Invitation, I found myself very engaged in these Old Testament illustrations. Now, I don't want to overwork you, but I want to keep talking about these because I think they're so interesting and so important. How about Elijah's challenge on Mount Carmel? Yeah, this is what I I kind of tongue-in-cheek called the first altar call in history, you know. (laughs) because there is an altar uh you know he he builds an altar he he uh calls on the the um the followers of Baal to to make their altar and they cry out to their god and of course he they don't you know there's there's nothing they there's silence basically and then god uh god through elijah calls people to come to his altar he calls them forward to his altar and says look at what the lord god will do and of course he puts the uh, sacrifice there he douses it with water. I mean, water Mm -hmm. upon water upon water. And then he calls for God to send fire from above to show that he is the only God in Israel. And of course, as we know, God does that. And then the people of Israel who were serving Baal, they were serving Asherah, all of these false gods. They finally turn away from these false gods and they publicly put their faith in God and they actually do away with the prophets of Baal. So again, this is not something that's done in a closet somewhere. It's not something that's done in the shadows. It's done out of Mount Carmel, that high point there in Israel that overlooks Armageddon, the Valley of Armageddon and the Mountain of Armageddon. And it's done out there in public uh, and uh, people publicly respond to the God of Israel. Matt, I mean, Elijah compelled Israel to come to him and so they did. That's right. That's, that's right. And they, and they did. That's right. It, it was an exhortation that was public. And, you know, it did, they didn't have to have smoke and mirrors and darkness, but it was out in the light. And people people had to make their public stake. Do I truly believe in God? And, you know, in the New Testament, we hear Jesus. I, I, I don't want to get away from the Old Testament before you want to, but let me just kind of say what the New Testament says to back this up. You know, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And so uh, there is this uh, imperative nature of faith to be public. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, let's talk about Josiah's command to Judah from Second Chronicles. Yeah, so Josiah, you know, he uh, is a godly king. He comes to uh, um, he comes to power, uh, I believe, at about eight years old, and uh, he, he he's had his uh, father and his grandfather who have ruled Ju- uh, Jerusalem and Judah wickedly, uh, Manasseh and Ammon, mm-hmm. and um, there they are. And he comes he comes to the throne and he says, you know, we need to do some stuff for the temple. He sends out some of the officials to go and to look over the temple and to try to repair the temple of God, put away the 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 gods that his father and his grandfather had had Israel to worship. And they find the book of the law. They find uh, the, the, uh, the, the Pentateuch. They find the law of God. And uh, 
They have it read uh, to the scribe reads it to the king. Uh, Josiah, he's overcome. He cries. He tears. He tears his garments and he repents before God. And he uh, actually says, go inquire of, of God for us what we should do. And uh, of course, they go uh, to Huldah, the prophetess. And Huldah says, uh, God is going to do everything that he said in the book that you read. He's going to punish uh, Judah. Mm-hmm. However, he's also heard your cry, Josiah, your cry of repentance that has been public. And so he is going to let you rest with your ancestors. And then, of course, Josiah begins to enact these reforms in which Israel publicly began to do away with the the. Uh, the places on the high, the high places. They do away with the pole that's to the Canaanite god mm-hmm. Asherah. They uh, take down Baal temples, uh, a Baal temple and Baal altars. And so this is all again done in public. And so it's the word of God that's publicly read and publicly read to the king that he then conveys to the people that causes the people to turn away from their sins, to repent and to um, uh, submit to what God says in his word. Matt, this is so important. I, I love that we're talking about this because it's so clear throughout all of the Old Testament about the public invitation and the public call to repentance. It seems that yes, sir. we've lost our sense of that today, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. There's still some more Old Testament things I'd love to talk about, like um, Isaiah's report from Isaiah That's right. 52. Yes, yeah, so Isaiah 52, and then goes into that very famous sermon uh, or, or a proclamation, prophecy that he gives in Isaiah 53. Right. Uh, but uh, Isaiah is there, and uh, he, by the word of the Lord, is uh, calling out uh, to Israel. And he he starts off by talking about how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the person who's bringing good news, who mm-hmm. publishes peace, and all of those things. And then he says, um, so so that is that is you know proclamation of of good news. And then he says in that same chapter, chapter fifty two, he says the Lord has bared his holy arm before all the eyes of the nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And by his bare hand, this is the kind of la- like human language. It kind of God's not a human, but it kind of gives language in human form to God that He has His arm. In other words, His power, His Spirit. His, his activity in the world is going to bring about a salvation. And so it's real interesting to me that when you come to chapter 53, which talks about that suffering servant who, mm-hmm. you know, for the chastisement of our peace, it was laid upon him by his stripes, we were healed. It's talking about Jesus, of course, but the, the, it, it begins that prophecy by saying this, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, who has believed our report out on the mountains? The the, the message of peace, the message of salvation, the message of good news that makes feet beautiful. Who's believed our report, the human report? But then he also says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, who is God's spirit opening up the hearts of? Who is God's power working in so that you see that what the message we're saying is true. And there we see, I think, a beautiful picture that's really captured in the book of Revelation as well, where you see uh, human agents, uh, men, uh, prophets, who are also being uh, working in conjunction with the power and the Spirit of God to proclaim Jesus and to call people to believe in Him. 
And of course, that uh, John picks that up in the book of Revelation to say, you know, whoever's thirsty, say, come the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God. And the bride, that's that's the church, say, come. And so there's this working together of both the human and the divine in calling people publicly to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. His book is called The Gospel Invitation. I have it open in front of me. So if I happen to say something that sounds really smart, I'm probably most likely reading from Matt's book, so uh, don't give me too much credit. So when we talk about the arm of the Lord, Matt, um, you say it's an idiom for the work and power of the Holy Spirit, because I I have to say I've never really focused on that verse before. Uh, The Lord has bared his holy arm, and I thought, I think that's the first time I focused on that. Yeah, a lot of times we focus, and rightly we should focus on Jesus. I mean, Jesus is being proclaimed in this prophecy. I mean, and it's uh, hundreds of years before he ever comes, and we see in great detail Isaiah's portrait of of Jesus uh, being crucified for us. But, um, you know, as an evangelism professor and one who teaches and trains in evangelism, I really was struck just a few years ago by, just like you said, being drawn to that language, uh, you know, that who's believed our report, that what we're mm-hmm. saying, and who who has God revealed himself in power through the Holy Spirit to so that they can believe this report? Because, you know, uh, the prophets uh, all throughout the Old Testament, they, they would prophesy on God's behalf, but very few times would the people listen to them. I mean, sometimes they would listen, but many times they would say, no, we're going to do something else. I mean, you see that, that's the whole ministry of Jeremiah. You know, he's prophesying and they don't want to listen to Jeremiah. And so he starts lamenting, you know, as a whole book on lamenting uh, because uh, Israel will not listen to God's warnings. And so w- what you have here is Isaiah clearly preaching Jesus, a, a prophecy of Jesus coming. And what Isaiah is saying and what I think any Bible teacher or a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or any Christian that is sharing the word with somebody else to try to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to realize we can have our report. We can report on the gospel. But if we don't have the mighty arm of the Lord, his power through his Holy Spirit to help convince and to convict that person of their sins, then we're doing it on our own. We have to, you know, God's not just going to save people on their own without the gospel being shared. The Bible says that, you know, that no nobody will believe unless they hear. But in the same way, he has to empower us with the message that we preach and proclaim and teach and share. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. He's written a book called The Gospel Invitation. Now, the overwhelming majority of the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, God was using prophets to call Israel to, to repentance, but there's something that he did to call the Gentiles to repentance. And when we come back, we're going to have Matt talk about that very thing. Dr. Matt Queen again is my guest, and the book is called The Gospel Invitation. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Dr. Matt Queen. His book is The Gospel Invitation. Matt is the professor of evangelism, the L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism. And then in parentheses, it says Chair of Fire. What does that mean, Matt? 
Yeah, so uh, the chair of fire is the first academic chair that was established at Southwestern um, uh, back in 19, uh, 1910, actually. And it's actually the very first chair of evangelism, academic chair of evangelism, you know, something that's funded to, to pay a professor uh, in the whole wide world. And so I'm the ninth occupant of the chair of fire, fire meaning, you know, soul winning fire, passion, blazing for God. And uh, I'm in a long line of many men that God has used to help equip and train uh, men and women for Christian ministry. That's uh, so encouraging. And I, I love your passion, Matt. So thank you for the book. Thank you for inspiring uh, me as I'm reading this. Now, we, we do look at the, the prophetics, uh, the prophets that were called Isra- to called to bring Israel to repentance. But God mm-hmm. also used uh, a, a prophet to... Uh, kind of call the Gentiles as well. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so Jonah is is a prophet that was called uh, to go over to uh, the Assyrians, to Nineveh, and to pronounce God's judgment. And what's interesting here is um, this is this is not necessarily a, a message of grace uh, on the on the surface. It's not. I, I believe it is a message of grace, but on the surface, he says, uh, "I want you to cry out against the city in judgment." And though Jonah has a, a problem with doing this, um, uh, he starts going the, the opposite way. And he finds out that he, uh, though he has a problem with doing what God wants him to do, he's going to have a big problem because he actually goes to uh, Tarshish uh, on the Mediterranean Sea and is uh, actually thrown overboard. And there is a large fish. And we don't know that it's a whale. It's, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale, but a large fish. I believe God created it. It swallows him and keeps him for three days. And he finally gets right with God, gets the right perspective on what God wants him to do. And uh, the the uh, fish, you know, vomits him back up onto the uh, onto the shore. And one of the funniest statements in the Bible is whenever in Jonah, it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, go to, to Nineveh. You know, it's almost kind of ironic, you know, that, you know, he's gone through all this trouble and God's not changing anything. So he goes and he preaches judgment. He says, yet uh, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And um, what's interesting is a lot of people think, OK, that's just judgment. And it was. But the fact that it took him three days to do it was actually 43 days. And the fact that God actually sent a prophet, God didn't have to do that to Assyria. Um, God, but God sent a prophet to the Gentiles, to the nations, uh, to warn them. And even though he didn't invite them to publicly make a response, they did. In fact, uh, probably the king of uh, of the city, who was uh, Ashtoran the third, I believe, he actually is the one who actually issues this public invitation. He he actually repents in sackcloth and ashes, and he calls all the city to repent. And you know, uh, Jonah just wasn't a good uh, you know a, a good preacher like I am because he had all these people respond. And yeah. I don't mean he could preach. I don't mean I, he could preach better than me, or I could preach better than him. But when I have somebody preach. I rejoice whenever somebody, you know, comes to faith in Christ. He had a whole city that rejoiced and he was mad about it. He went and had a little pity party, you know, and any preacher, uh, they they find their lifeblood. And when people turn, turn the Lord, but he was actually, he turned to his anger, you know, and uh, the Lord had had a little talk with him and said, you know, the biggest problem is not that you don't want to do what I want to say. The, your biggest problem is not that there's a, a, a great fish that swallows you, but your big problem is that 
I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, love wicked people, and I've done something about it to help them change from their wickedness. And Jonah just flat out says, no, you know, this is what I told you back in your land. You're a long-suffering God. You are a God of covenantal love, and you're patient and kind, and, and that's why I didn't want to go. And so he had a problem with God's character trying to reach the nations, but God was able to use him anyway. And Matt, let's talk about this less than stellar sermon. It's not that many words. I mean, yes. I think I think if I think if Jonah was going to really go into the heart of Nineveh, it would have been a three day walk. I think he stopped after about a day or a day and a half, and then barked this out, and and everyone the whole the whole place got saved. That's right. It didn't have it didn't have his intended purpose, but it had God's intended purpose. Right. Uh, because because they realized that God God meant business with them, and um, you know I think that's where a lot of us um, you know in the Christian churches today, a lot of us you know we we see people that are maybe they're of other nations or maybe they're of our nation, but they don't look like us and they don't think like us and they don't act like us and they don't have the same ethic as us, and sometimes we you know God tells us to go share the gospel with somebody who is diametrically diametrically different than we are. And we say, God, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Well, guess what? That's what Jonah felt like. But if we do believe that God is that God who is long-suffering, who loves the wicked, who has done something about it by sending his son Jesus to die for them so that they can turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, we... Uh, we, we need to be obedient. And we even if our heart's not in it, although I hope our hearts would be in it, uh, Jonah's wasn't, but God can still use us if we go and we share the good news. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just an aside, Matt, but in the three days Jonah was in the whale, did he survive or did he die in those three days? Yeah, so I think that he uh, he survived, and the reason I think that is because he's in there and he's actually making prayer to God, um, and he actually gets right with the Lord and says, okay, Lord, I, I want to see your temple again. I'm, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. Now, he, he, his, he is as good as dead. I mean, he's, he's, he's not dead, but he's as good as dead because other than his repentance, he will die in that fish's uh, uh, belly. But uh, Jesus, of course, picks up on that later on, and he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. So even in Jonah's disobedience and God's correction of that, it's a it's it in and of itself is a way in which Jesus used to call people publicly to faith in himself. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first images I think I saw of Jonah and the whale. Of course, there's uh -huh. nothing in scripture that says it was a whale, but you would see the inside of the whale, and inside this belly of the whale was Jonah in a little fishing boat. <laughs> I thought, boy, that's some stretch of the imagination, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, it, it, it was no uh, nice look. I mean, he, you know, he probably had, uh, you know, stomach acids and everything else. And he probably, uh, he had a story, a fishy story to tell whenever he got out of that <laughs> uh, 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 fish's uh, belly. Um, probably even when he went to uh, Assyria, probably had, I mean, the stomach acid probably eaten through some of even his clothing and his skin. Sure. But uh, God was able to use him in spite of the way he looked and smelled. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. The Gospel Invitation is the book that he's written. All right, Matt, let's talk about now some of the public invitations in the New Testament. Maybe okay. maybe we can start with John the Baptist. I mean, one of the more famous. 
Yes. So he 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 was right there on the scene and uh, outside of the angels announcing Jesus. He's really the first one who is publicly calling people in the New Testament uh, to come to faith in Christ. And he's doing it through a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, baptism in that day, uh, the Hebrew word is uh, mikvah. Yep. They would have these ceremonial baths that would kind of cleanse them from sin or cleanse them so they could go into the temple or into a, a synagogue or a holy place or something like that. And so uh, John builds upon that and he calls for the people to repent and show their repentance uh, through uh, uh, baptism in which he will do. And what's interesting there is, um, you know, he does this in Luke chapter four. He preaches, repent, and people, again, we go back to the Isaiah thing. That's his report. Who's going to believe his report? And then the Holy Spirit evidently, um, powerfully, begins to convince and convict people of their sins. And so there's different groups of people. The Bible says, Luke says, people come up to him and said, what do we do? What is repentance for us? Mm -hmm. And he says to them, you know, uh, share your clothing. If you have extra clothing, uh, go the extra mile with somebody. Now, he's not preaching works, but he's showing them what would a change look like, this kind of change. Uh, the tax collectors come up and they say, what do we do? And he says, stop, stop robbing people. Stop taking more than you should. And then uh, even Roman soldiers come up and say, what do we do? What does repentance look like for us? And he said, don't harass anybody along the way. And, uh, you know, make make sure that you are not uh, being disrespectful to those and making them carry all your your um, your belongings for yourself. So what's interesting with with uh, this story, uh, Brother Bill, is that in this story, You've got people who are being called to repent, and even when they hear the message, even when they're convicted by the Spirit, they still don't know what to do. And that's why they say, what do we do? And so wow. I think it's real important. I think it's real important for people who teach the Bible, preach the Bible, tell the good news to other people, that we realize that we can call people to repent, but we need to understand or change or believe in God, whatever it is. But it is okay with us, and we are not interfering with the Holy Spirit when we actually explain what repentance would look like for them. You know, some people they they say, "Well, I don't want to get in God's way." You know, there are some people who say, "I just don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to do God's work in in salvation." But clearly, here in John, John the Baptist had no interference with the Holy Spirit. He was actually working in conjunction when he actually explained to them what the word repentance really meant for each of them in each of their scenarios. Mm -hmm. So, Matt. If I said, okay, this repentance thing you talk about, what does that mean to me? I'm, I'm, I'm kicking the tires of Christianity. I don't know what you're talking about. What does that mean? What do yeah. I have to do? I haven't, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, that's, that, that's, and that's where you start off with. Uh, most people think that they're a good person and their goodness, uh, you know, is, is good enough for God or their good outweighs their bad. So repentance uh, in terms of a gospel invitation is really the word there means in, in, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it means to change your mind. And so what you have to do, it depends on who you are and what your situation is. But some people for re repentance for them means they have to change their mind about who Jesus is. He's not just good. He's God. He's not just a teacher. He is the ultimate teacher. He is not just uh, a religious figure. He is God in the flesh. So sometimes people have to change their mind about who Jesus is. But many of us, as you said, you're kicking the tires. You're a good person. Is that all I need? Many of us have to change our minds in this regard, Bill. 
a lot of us can it can easily be convinced that our sin, our disobedience, does not please God. When we lie, when we steal, when we cheat, when anything like that, those things don't please God. But we have somehow gotten in, into our minds as human beings that if we do enough good or if we do a really great good thing, that God's going to be pleased with that. And we've got to change our mind. If our good ple- could please God, had the ability to please God, Jesus would not have come to earth to die. If, if we could just have done it good enough by being a good person, being a nice person, going to church, being a member of a church, if those things could save us, forgive us, make us right with God, Jesus would have stayed up in heaven. But it was necessary for him to leave heaven, come here, be treated the way he was, die on a cross, be buried and raised again, because that's the only thing that can make us right with God. So repentance means not trusting in yourself or anything else other than what Jesus has done. Okay, man, let's say I have come to faith in Christ, I've placed my faith in him, and now I do some good works. That pleases God, doesn't it? Absolutely, that pleases God, because okay. it's the Holy Spirit doing it through you. <laughs> right, of course. I just wanted to make sure that we we're drawing a distinction between the two. Um, yeah, yes, because, sir. Yes, yeah, okay, good. We're just, take a I break. just meant that good works... I just meant that good works don't make us right with God, but when we're made right with God, we will do good works. Amen to that. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. His book is called The Gospel Invitation. We're going to come back and continue uh, talking more about public invitations in the Bible. And when we come back, um, I'm going to talk about Jesus' preaching the gospel of God's kingdom. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. His book is called The Gospel Invitation. So, Matt, when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sounds to me like a public invitation. It is a public invitation, and it very much mirrors what his uh, his cousin John the Baptist said. And so that's that's how we know that they're preaching about the same thing. In fact, John actually connects uh, his message of repent with Jesus's message of repent by saying, "Behold, it's in the book of John. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." And so uh, there's a straight straight connection between what John believed who Jesus was or who John believed Jesus was, and then how uh, Jesus is just going to continue in his ministry. In fact, many of John's own disciples end up leaving him and following Jesus from that point forward. And so, yes, there, uh, it's a public invitation. Uh, in fact, in Mark uh, um, in Mark chapter uh, one. Uh, Jesus built on that and actually gives kind of a concise statement about the gospel when he says, uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, let's talk about uh, Peter and John's and, and their their passion and the way they went about uh, talking about these public invitations. Yeah, so Peter and John, they they 
uh, do so. They they share the gospel uh, under threat of arrest. And so we yeah. see that as they are uh, publicly uh, Solomon's portico, they are there. And uh, John, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter three, a few days after Pentecost, and uh, they encounter a beggar. And they actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the arm of the Lord, uh, they are able to, uh, uh, God heals uh, this man. And it it, uh, um, it actually gets the crowd's uh, attention, so much so that in their uh, uh, being amazed about the healing, he begins to preach the gospel. And he does something that's very unpopular with the people that are there. They're uh, there's a group there that are called the Sadducees. And uh, among other things, they do not believe in a resurrection of the dead. And they and he, uh, they actually uh, kind of double down, Peter and John, and they say not only is there a resurrection of the dead, but Jesus was risen from the dead, and that's why this man is able to walk again. He they they get arrested, and it's interesting they don't even get a given invitation, but uh, though they're they're whisked off uh, in chapter four, uh, the Bible says five thousand people responded to their message before they could even call people to make a decision. So it was an amazing uh, encounter of God's power through His mighty hand. Mm-hmm. So Matt, what about the way Paul went about, and when he was say addressing the philosophers? Yeah, so Paul does this in many different formats, but especially in Acts 17 when he is in Athens and he's there, the the, the Greek word is the uh, Areopagus, or we know it as Mars Hill. And he mm-hmm. goes up and um, uh, he goes up there by invitation. You see, he'd been in the marketplace, the Bible says, and he'd been preaching Jesus and resurrection, Jesus and Anastasia. That uh, kind of sounds like a Disney princess almost, Anastasia. <laughs> but uh, he, he's preaching these. And, and the people that are the philosophers that are there, uh, Stoics and Epicurean philosophers, they're down there and they hear him preaching. And he preaches so decisively about Jesus and his resurrection that they get it mixed up and they think they're talking he's talking about deities jesus and a female consort anastasia and so he says no i'm preaching one god jesus and so they said well come up here to mars hill and let's talk about this and so he begins to preach the gospel to them it's strange things to their ears they say but he preaches not only in the resurrection but then he does he also preaches for repentance and he says something that's very distinct he says god and it kind of goes back to jonah what you were asking me about jonah mm-hmm. he says god has commanded all people to repent. And so it's not just a message for the Jewish people, it's a message for all people, including the elite thinkers and intellects of the day, even they could. And then in, in response, it's it's interesting, Luke tells us how people responded. The Bible says that some ended up following uh, Jesus and followed Paul. Uh, some said, we'll hear you again on this matter, but the vast majority of them rejected the gospel. And so that just gives me a way just to say this, Uh, To those that are listening, if you're personally sharing the good news and calling people to respond, if you're doing it in your Sunday school class or your Bible study class or you're a preacher and you're doing it, just realize not every single time you share the gospel and call for response will people come to faith in Christ. But if you don't ever call people to faith in Christ publicly, you'll never see someone come to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I used this in my promotion for our discussion today, but... I think I got this from your book, maybe not, but I got it from some related um, connection to your book, and that is if a trial attorney is trying to win a case for their client and they're petitioning the jury and they're doing a compelling um, last 
uh, appeal, they're going to certainly ask the jury to show that their client is innocent. That's exactly right. And and, and they'll do so with no shame because they, they believe and they, they want people to publicly say they too believe in what the verdict is. It's a public verdict. And, and yes, we do talk about that in the book. Mm, okay, good. So what about Paul? I mean, he almost persuaded King Agrippa to become a Christian in Acts 26. Yeah, he did. And what's interesting with Paul is Paul is doing this everywhere, but especially in the one time when probably most Christians would would be more afraid for their lives than they would, uh, you know, for the expansion of the gospel. He's actually before Agrippa, who is a, uh, you know, a, a leader of, of that area, <clears throat> excuse me, and he is there with uh, Roman military commanders. He's been given great authority by the, the Romans and uh, in this area. And Agrippa gives him an op- opportunity to, to answer some accusations that were made against about Paul uh, by the Jewish people. And so he said, okay, I'd, I'd love to tell you about uh, these accusations. And he went to share his testimony about how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. It was a personal story about how he came to faith in Jesus. And upon hearing uh, this, uh, a guy that was with uh, Agrippa, his name was Festus, he said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Uh, all, all that, all these things that you've learned, it, it's driven you crazy, basically. And without worrying about what Festus had said to him, Paul looks. He can tell that Agrippa is is gripped in many ways by the story <laughs> about mm-hmm. Jesus. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets, the Old Testament? I know that you believe. And the king was some, somewhat, you know, shocked by this. And he said, Paul, are you really trying to persuade me in such a such a short time? And it, it's interesting there. Uh, you know, some people today with the discipleship culture bill that we have, and it's very well-meaning, but some people today say, you know, you have to make a disciple of Jesus over a long period of time. you got to put a lot of capital investment in it, a lot of relational capital. You've got to do it over a long period of time because nobody will just come to Jesus on the spot. But Peter, Paul evidently had not been introduced to that kind of a culture because he said, whether it's a short time or a long time, I just want you to come to faith in Jesus. And of course, you know that uh, Paul uh, Paul is told by Agrippa, you almost persuade me. You almost persuade me, but I'm mm. not ready yet. So yeah. So so again, uh, it was a delay. We don't have any evidence that uh, he or Festus even made a decision to follow Jesus. As far as we know, they did not. Uh, but uh, Paul was willing to when it counted, and when it was at his own defense, his own criminal defense, as it were. Although he wasn't a criminal, um, he ended up preaching Jesus. And Paul acted out of his sense of immediacy, which I love about Paul. That's right. That's right. Because none of us, Bill, none of us know when when uh, Jesus is going to come back. In fact, uh, some of the horrible things that are taking place right now in Israel, know. Uh, the, the, mm. you know, uh, we're, we're shocked by them in one sense. But Christians, if they've read their Bible, uh, they shouldn't be too shocked because the things like this are going to happen, the Bible says. And so we don't know, uh, you know, Jesus has said no one knows the hour or the day. And so, you know, we may not have time to build a long relationship. It's okay to have a relationship. It's okay to uh, share the gospel in the context of relationship. Yeah. But we really need to make sure we're urgently seeing is the Holy Spirit's arm, is the, is the Lord's arm, his arm of power through his spirit. Is it moving someone to be convinced today to believe in Jesus? Amen. And Matt, we don't know how many more heartbeats we have left. So... 
We'll take a break. Right. Dr. Matt Queen is my guest. His book is called The Gospel Invitation. We've been enjoying looking at all the public invitations in not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. When we come back, we're going to start drawing some conclusions on this whole topic, which I find fascinating. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Dr. Matt Queen. His book is called Gospel Invitation, and we've looked at all these public um, invitations in, in Scripture, and it's been fascinating, public invitations to follow Jesus. And as I, I look, Matt, at the New Testament, I look at, we talked about John the Baptist, we talked about Peter, we talked about Paul, and it seemed like they called for instantaneous decisions publicly. They sure did. They, they, they called for a decision right then and there on the spot. And, you know, um, the Bible, um, uh, other than the fact of what you said uh, before we went to the break, you know, that we're not promised another moment. You know, life is fleeting. It's like uh, a vapor, you know. Uh, other than something like that or the return of Christ, we're not really given any other reasons why it was uh, expedient. Although I think we can, it's safe for us to assume that uh, the people that were sharing the gospel, that were preaching the good news, calling for a response, they did not want to take a chance that uh, no one else would ever share the gospel with these people. And they wanted to make sure all they all they could know in the future was that at this time, this person's hearing the gospel and has an opportunity to respond. And so they wanted to make sure that that was going to happen. And um, I think also another thing that kind of led them, though, it's, you know, not necessarily specific to uh, specifically spelled out is they knew what their relationship with Jesus was, and they know what their relationship before Jesus was. And they, out of joy and love and compassion, wanted people to experience the joy and peace that they had just as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, uh, when you look at the state of evangelism today, do you think that there's a lot of people that are backpedaling a little bit? They're they're, they're not wanting to appear pushy or they don't feel confident or, you know, the power of the invite is so amazing. And I, I don't know what we're leaving on the table by not saying, would you like to place your faith in Christ right now? I think I think that's a great observation. And yes, I do believe that's the case. Um, in fact, that's the reason this book was written. Um, we, we wrote this book because, um, you know, when I'm in church, I'm working with churches. You know, I'm working. Uh, I've, I've, I teach uh, students, seminary students, uh, students preparing for ministry. And more and more, we're seeing people that are just doing Bible teaching, like on a Sunday morning uh, worship service, and they're not actually making a plea. And I, I really think there's three things that contribute to that, uh, Bill. One, one is, I've already kind of mentioned it, a very well-meaning, again, I'm not trying to speak ill of anybody, but a very well-meaning discipleship culture that thinks that faith in Jesus has to take a longer period of time than a shorter period of time. And mm -hmm. I think there's that's influenced some people. I think a second thing that's influenced people is there are some people who have seen invitations, public invitations that were done, that were done with manipulation, that were done to 
pressure people, you know, into things. And so as a response kind of against that, they have said, you know, I don't want to be considered, I don't want to even be considered to manipulate somebody. And of course, any manipulation is wrong. And I would stand against it, even though I believe in a gospel invitation. But um, but I think instead of just retracting and not doing one at all, we ought to do one the right way, the biblical way. And that's the reason we've written the book. And then last, I think there's some people, Bill, that really do want to give an invitation. Maybe they've tried it in the past, but they really, uh, you know, they just didn't, they didn't see or feel as though God was using it. And in some of the later chapters of the book, we actually, in chapter three, we actually talk about some real easy ways for pastors, preachers, evangelists, missionaries, Bible teachers, or just a regular Christian to be able to take a text and to be able to find where the call of God to uh, of call of God to believe in the gospel is, and how they can just very naturally be able to call people to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Doctor Matt Queen is my guest. Matt, I would love for you to to comment on what some people will will say. Well, that's easy believism. You're you're not mm. presenting a full understanding of the gospel. You're not showing somebody what the cost is of following Christ. You're just going through the four spiritual laws and asking them to make a decision, and then they have to be born again a year later, and then three years later they walk up again to get saved, and then four years later Mm -hmm. because they don't feel confident of who they are in Christ. Yeah, so I think uh, that's a great question. And so um, I think I, I think I would respond to that in two different ways. First of all, we, you and I both have been very clear because the scriptures have been clear. Um, I do believe that you have to believe in Jesus. In fact, Paul in Acts 16, whenever he's asked by the flipping jailer, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But what we actually see in the Bible also is not just believe, but we see repent. Peter says it in in, uh, Acts chapter 3, says in Acts chapter 2, we've already talked about Jesus saying it, uh, John the Baptist saying it. And so I think uh, in order to avoid any kind of easy believism, which is not what I I ascribe to, um, we really, before we call people to believe, we need to call people to repent. You know, Jesus in Mark 1, 14 and 15 that I'd mentioned earlier, it said, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And any time in the New Testament, Bill, that repent and belief are used in an invitation, repentance always precedes belief. Mm-hmm. So we've got to call people, as we said earlier, to change their minds. No one will believe in their hearts in Jesus and it actually be salvific until they first of all changed their mind and made sure that the only way they can be made right with God is not through anything else but what Jesus did on the cross, being buried and raised again. And so I think that will help against even easy believism if we call people to repent first and then believe. And then second of all, uh, you know, I've said something about this discipleship culture that, you know, kind of likes to take time in building uh, relationships before they come to Christ. But I would just say something. I love discipleship and I love a lot of the discipleship culture And I think one thing that we've done is, and one thing that evangelistic churches have done, is sometimes people have walked an aisle or made a decision on the spot or whatever, and we as the church have not done our job in helping those people be discipled so that they know what it is to walk with God every day. Amen to that, Matt Queen. So if I asked you uh, this invitation to follow or to become born again, I'm doing that, why? Um, the re- the reason that we're asking people to be born again, that's what you're asking, correct? Yes, because some people yeah. say, well, this is my free pass to heaven, and I guess I want that. 
Yes, yes. So we're we're asking them to do it because because Jesus has said um, he wants to he wants to make us born again. He wants us to be right with the Father. He wants to give us peace and hope and abundant living in life. And of course, with that. Uh, is going to come as as we've said earlier, even with Paul and how he shared the gospel. It's going to come with its uh, its um, share of persecution and suffering. So if people think that they're just having a wonderful life and everything's going to be perfect in their life if they accept Jesus, that's not really the biblical picture of the gospel. In fact, life may even get worse for mm-hmm. you because the devil. Now you're the devil's enemy. You're no longer in his pocket. And so, uh, so yes, will there be uh, health issues? Will there be money issues? Will there be relationship issues? Yes, even if you're the only Christian in your family, you may be cut off from your family. But what you have is you have a life in spite of all the things you had in, uh, beforehand. You have peace even in the midst of chaos. You have God's forgiveness in the midst of knowing how far you have drifted for him. So again, it is, it's not a, a, a call to make everything right in your life and everything to be perfect, but it is a call to live in this life with God's promise so that you can go to a place one day where everything will be made well in heaven. Now, the truly the happiest moment in anyone's life when they're born from above. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, just the most amazing. I was praising God today, thinking that my my eternity is secure and that he is storing uh, that in heaven right now. My name is in the book Amen. of life. It's just powerful. Amen. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. Brother, it is good talking to you. Thank you so much for your book, The Gospel Invitation. Thank you for showing us all the places in the New and Old Testament where there's public invitations. I just have enjoyed this conversation very much. Well, I've enjoyed it too. And I hope if anybody wants to get it, they can go anywhere books are sold and see uh, where they can get a copy of the book. They can, they can indeed. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.